Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lockes. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Well, I guess we're who's kicking this thing off. I guess we never talked about that. Ron's usually the guy. Oh, shoot, Ron. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Hmm. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. Um, tonight, it's going to be uh, Jason Loftus and myself, and we're talking to Drew Butterwick coming to us from Texas, sounds like. So representing the central time zone will be the two Drews tonight. <laughs> and my first question right out of the gate is, Drew, what advantages have you found in the photographic world by having the name Drew? And how is it superior to other names? <laughs> well, Drew, as you know, it's just uh, it's it's something that just comes to you at birth. I mean, we didn't we didn't do it. I mean, our parents did it. We're not sure why, but I mean, ever since that moment, since the swat on the behind that started us off screaming, it's just been uh, I don't know. It's been a better path, a, a higher path, if you if you will. It's uh, it set us up for success, and uh, I don't want to make make Jason feel too uh, too left out. Jason, that's an too, all right. Too late. Too. I get how tonight's going to go. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently it gave us the gift of bs i'm not sure what else it gave but us we're not picking that. on anybody here jason no oh, that's funny <laughs> that's great <laughs> well so J jason let's get a little update from you where the heck are you i am doing amazing first of all i'm feeling very fortunate uh getting ready to go hit the elk woods and it's like countdown like i'm leaving tomorrow which is exciting for me as we all talk, I live for this time of year every year. This is this is crunch time for me. This is go time. Um, so real excited about that and here in Utah. And right now, we're looking at the weather. We're actually finally getting some cool weather. Um, it's been in the mid to low 70s today, and we're getting some good rain. So that's that's very good. That's something we need. There's been a lot of uh, fires here in the West. And, you know, I don't know how many in Colorado, but there's some big ones in Idaho and we've been getting that downward draft from Idaho, and the smoke's just been filling the air here really bad. So that's a very common issue out here in the West, obviously, but these storms and the wind and that has really knocked that down. So it's 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 been very nice. Yeah, I've, I heard it was like 175 degrees. Yeah, right. It went from 107, literally, <laughs> to Fahrenheit to you know now it's in the 70s, which is great. So this is normal weather for us this time of year. I am so looking forward to that yeah, Colorado yeah. weather. Drew's, Drew's like, every time we hit, get on, we're always complaining about how hot it is. And Drew even has it worse right down there in Texas because of the humidity, too. But Drew H. <laughs> up there in the north is like, well, I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's mid-50s and wonderful here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's darn near perfect. It's a little slice of heaven right here in Churchill, Manitoba. Uh, no, things have been going well here. Um, let's see. Trying to think of big things I've had going on. Oh, yeah. I got oh, married that's all? last that's week. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yep. Yep. So sorry I missed the recording. Congratulations. Uh, it was, it, while, while I was getting married, you guys were recording a podcast. <laughs> so it was it was well attended. We had uh, you know, a couple dozen of our friends and about a couple hundred beluga whales swimming through. It was uh, right down on the rocks. Uh it was it was incredible. Really got lucky with the weather, and it was it was just so perfect. And then we had our reception uh, 
actually right here in this room where it's a multi-purpose space. And uh, so we were out, we had a little fire out in front and uh, had a beautiful Northern light show just right over the reception. I'm pretty sure it was Northern lights. <laughs> you know how those receptions can go, but it was a good time. We got the deed done. And so, so we're official now and we're pretty yeah, stoked awesome. on it. Can so sorry you guys couldn't be here and it was, yeah. you were down in the heat, but it was perfect. No, don't, don't, you're not running. Congrats by the way too. That's so cool. Yeah. That was very thank nice. You. Very thank nice. You, thank you. Thank you. So are you guys, uh, you're talking about elk rut starting up here. So are you guys meeting up next week or what's, uh, what's the deal? Yeah, we'll be doing a little bit of that. Yeah. We yeah. will be. Excellent. We'll connect a little bit yeah. in the field. And I think Drew's got a couple other things he's going to be focusing on too in the interim, but yeah, that'll be, it's always good. Uh, one of the things that we benefit from and a lot of the local photographers end up, you know, going to the same areas as we all know. So yeah, it's fun to run into old friends and to see people and get to see new people and get acquainted with other folks. So that'll definitely be part of it. Well, I'm stoked to meet another Drew here tonight. So forgive me if I just rush into all these questions, but a little bit about yourself. What's what's your background? What uh, what got you here today? Oh gosh, I've got a very diverse background, so I won't bore you with the with the entire diversity. Uh, you mean focusing more on the photography side kind of comes from a, a mostly marketing background. Um, when I was in college, I actually did take photography classes at uh, University of Colorado Boulder. You know, I always loved the outdoors. I always loved, uh, you know, running around with the animals. I mean, I got to go up to Rocky Mountain National Park back in the heyday, you know, when there was no one there. Um, and, you know, Colorado in itself, just being a beautiful place to go out and shoot photos. Of course, back then we were shooting on film and we were riding dinosaurs out to the park. And, you know, I mean, it was it was a good time back then. Uh, and uh, then it kind of led into a TV thing. I shot a lot of video, a lot of television for a while, kind of got away from stills because for a while uh, still photography was kind of passe. And uh, luckily, once everybody got a phone that did video and the world went to starting to hit social media, everybody became a video producer in their own home and then real good still photography kind of came back online and I and a good appreciation for the art and what it takes to you know actually it make the good still I mean video is actually easier to create than stills and uh so you know we, that kind of came back on as an art form not just something for commercial photography or you know for for magazines etc and uh I kind of started to fall back into that part of it was a commercial side for business Part of it was, you know, really getting back in as a passion. And then, you know, once uh, once we started to hit the, you know, the, the digital age, you know, things just took off. And uh, I was able, fortunately, with business and whatnot to start spending more time outdoors and then kind of pushed away from the other side of it and decided that photography was going to be the mainstay. So it's it's about 90 percent of uh, what I do now on on various facets. What's your, what's your business model then? What, how do you, uh, how do you make your living in photography these days? A couple years ago, going into COVID, somebody wrote an article that talked about how they survived in downtimes. And I kind of, you know, I didn't use it as a model. I was just very interested that I kind of paralleled that in, in that I, I do uh, photography for resorts and high end ranches in Texas and actually other resorts around the world. Um, I do photo workshops, lead photo safaris, and then I sell prints as well. And, you know, collectively, they add up to a pretty nice package. 
and it's a synergy. I will I will literally run into people um, on a property that turn out to be photo clients. Um, I will be you know on a on a shoot somewhere, and they'll be somebody that will turn out buying a print. Um, and you know, I can be someplace exhibiting and somebody will ask me to shoot photos for their real estate or for their resort. So I mean, it just, it kind of rolls together. And I do, of course, I would prefer to be out in the field chasing animals all the time, but you know, the other stuff fills in the gaps and, uh, it's, it's kind of created a pretty good calendar. Keeps you busy. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm as busy as I want to be. I, uh, I actually have to work on throttling it back a little bit sometimes. You know, you, you know. Eventually, they say we should edit the photos. Uh, so, at least take a look at them. <laughs> you mean besides on the screen, on the back yeah, of the yeah. camera that day? Oh, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> well, how do you guys know each other then? So yeah, well, I think we met through social media um, essentially, and then we actually started to do some things together and. Um, Drew was actually the one that led the African safari that I went on this year. Um, so we, you know, we, we had to, did a podcast about that already and talked about a lot of the specifics of that, of that um, trip. But uh, yeah, Drew and I become friends through social media and um, we're working on doing some uh, workshops and stuff together as we move forward here. So. Yeah, I actually, I, I wouldn't introduce myself to Jason. I mean, we'd met, online spoken several times but i introduced myself to him at a trade show where he actually had a booth and was and showing photos i was there for a different reason and then uh you know at some point in time we said i'm sure we'll run into each other in the field and well since then it's 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 been a lot of time (laughs) in the field so and that field happened to be africa well you know i mean it started off i think the first time was uh was in colorado you know and we've done uh, yellowstone a couple times since then and I mean, Colorado a couple times ended up in Africa. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a few times. You know, when you're when you're chasing the seasons, it's amazing how many people end up in the in the same spot, um, kind of going after the yeah. same thing. You know, that sounded like a heck of a trip. Uh, and I haven't even seen all Jason's uh, pictures yet, but he was actually texting us the menu uh, from dinner several <laughs> nights. And so, like, I was I haven't even seen pictures, and I'm jealous just from what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know, some of the times we rough it, some of the times, you know, we're remote and then sometimes we're not remote nor roughing it. <laughs> and, uh, that was, that was kind of the case most of the time in Africa, you know, it, uh, it is obviously probably the most photogenic place, uh, on the planet. You know, it's almost like going to a different world, not just going to a different continent. And at the same token, it's probably the most gentlemanly kind of photo trip you can go on. I mean, the, the service and the way the people treat you, the welcoming part of it, the, I mean, the, the breakfast and the breakfast in the bush and the teas and the high teas and the lunch and the dinner and the after dinner. I mean, it's a, it's as much a social dining, uh, you know, affair than it is photography uh, all day long. I mean, it's, it's almost too much sometimes. It's almost too much service, almost too much of that, uh, you know, fine experience. You, know, you want to get back out and, you know, on a cloudy day especially and get in the field and, you know, they're ready to serve you tea again. <laughs> but you haven't had right. second. No, that's a fact too. Oh, yeah. we talked about that actually. We, we talked about how we were on Hobbit time over there for sure. <laughs> well, well, you guys were both there. Well, describe some highlights of your, your African adventure then. What, what, what did I miss out by not being there? I'll, I'll just real quick. I'm going to hit on that second breakfast because that was funny. The first morning we came back in, 
I went to the, you know, the main area, the, the shared area, whatever, the common area. And there was like, you know, fruit, fresh fruit and cereal and like granola and yogurt and some charcuterie board stuff, cheeses and meats and stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is a pretty nice little spread for breakfast. You know, it's like, this is great. So I, you know, I grabbed me some fruit and some cheese and stuff and I'm over there munching away on it thinking this is breakfast, you know. And then about, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, they came out and said, okay, everybody come sit down. It's time for breakfast, you know. And it's like, breakfast? What? What are you talking about? Like, yeah, that was just a warm-up. Now it's time to, like, order your eggs how you want them and get the full-on breakfast, you know. I was like, holy cow. So, But, yeah, it was a fight. There was, there was times when, no joke, went to Drew's point where it's almost, like, too much. Like, it's, it's kind of like – you need it. You good. You have a drink. You got a drink. You're good. Yeah, no, I'm good. You literally just handed me this one. I'm, I'm, re- I'm good. I promise, man. But it's, it's in a good way. You know what I mean? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in the, in the world that we've kind of lost service overall, you know, I mean, that's, I think that that's almost a lost art is good service, customer service and attention to detail. And they haven't lost it. I mean, it is definitely still there. There are, you know, might call it a third world country and leave it at that, but it's not, you know, the, the old kind of old school service that they bring is pleasurable. I mean, it's, it's really an excellent experience from that point. Yeah. Yeah, And I, and I would say just from my perspective, the highlights were just the animals. I mean, that's what I was there for. That's what I was focused on. Um, Not to reiterate too much of what we did on the first show, but about it, but you know, just the variety, like Drew's really already hit on a lot of it, but it's insane to describe the variety. I mean, I don't feel like there was, I don't, I cannot remember a single moment when we were out looking for animals where I couldn't see something that was an animal at all times. Like, even if it was an Impala, I mean, I could see some animal every time we went around a bush, a tree, over a hill, didn't matter. There was animals to look at, which is just incredible. Matter of fact, my wife told me recently, we went to Yellowstone in the middle of summer for a family trip. And, you know, we saw some bison and that was about it because everything, it's summer, it's hot, not a lot's out. It was the middle of the day when we were there, but my wife was literally like, I think I'm ruined. Like, I don't, like, I want to see stuff and Africa <laughs> ruined me because I see stuff all day long, all the time. And now we're not hardly seeing anything, you know, so. It's the truth. It will. It spoils you. Well, in I mean, when you say highlights, the thing of it is that. You know, you can go out, like Jason said, you can look in almost any direction, almost any time, and there's either giraffe or there's zebra or there's wildebeest or there's little mongoose or the variety of birds, which Jason and various other people will take <laughs> photos of. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that part's just along the way. You know, you're looking for that exciting, dynamic, you know, cheetah chase or something like that. And uh, you do get spoiled. You get super spoiled so quick because there's so many things that like your mind is wrapped around that these are Nat Geo photos. These are these amazing things and they're all day occurrences over there. I mean, you just have so many opportunities to see stuff. But then when you run across things like, I mean, I, I would definitely say one of our high points of that trip was was those wild dogs, you know, that we ran into for a couple of a couple of days there in and out. I mean, we we had more wild dog encounters than some people get in a lifetime in two days and multiple chases and interaction with hyenas. And I mean, Jason's, you know, 
going through pockets trying to find batteries and <laughs> cards and refilling. I mean, I mean, it's it's incredible like that. You know, the the stuff that pops up. Everything everything was already good, and then you get these, uh, you know, these these encounters that you 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 hope for, uh, but you just never know that uh, that you just can't right. top. So, do you have any funny stories about Jason in the field? Where anything comedic oh, happen? Uh, anything we should know about? It's just us. Here. <laughs> We're not. It's just the three of us chatting here. Nobody will ever know. I I have some excellent photos actually of Jason <laughs> hanging completely out of a vehicle, turned around backwards, trying to get. I would never do such. So. <laughs> you know, everybody said, "Keep your hands and feet inside the ride at all times." <laughs> uh, Except for when there's hyenas behind you. Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I will say that I, I, you know when you when you've when you've never done it, whether it's bears, you know, elephants, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Elk. I mean, if you're in the elk in the park and you've never been around them, you know, a bull comes charging down the hill, he's bugling. That's intimidating. Um, you know, you you find out later that they're not really much of a threat. They're hardly paying attention to you. Um, you know, over time, you start to learn your animal behavior and whatnot, and, and it's only from being there. And so the first time we really came into an encounter with lions, I was in the vehicle with, with Jason, and I'm kind of pushing the envelope. I mean, I'm not trying to get my hand bit, but I'm not keeping my hands necessarily inside there, kind of getting close. And I looked over at Jason because the opportunity was on his <laughs> side, and he was sitting up very straight and had his hands inside the vehicle and he did not want to get his hand bit. <laughs> so, you know, uh, everybody's got their own tolerance level, but you know, over time you, you do decide what you can and can't get away with, you know, with anything there. But, um, you know, same thing with our, with our elephants, you know, in the, in the road and whatnot, uh, you know, we, we had some good close stuff that was fun for some and not as right. fun for others. <laughs> so, Jason, what were you worried about? It sounds like it just takes a little trial and error and everything works well, out. Well, you got to understand, you're literally and, – and I think a lot of – Drew's right. When I first started spending time around bears, black bears and grizzly bears, you know, there was a, it was a, there was a learning period right there where, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the outdoors throughout my entire life, you know, but – you, you still, when you don't spend a lot of time around those animals, you got to learn their behaviors, got to learn to, you know, what kind of tolerance do they have, right? And what kind of animal is it really? Because you were all raised as little kids, for the most part, thinking that these predators are just mean, nasty, and they want to kill and eat everything around them, right? That's kind of the perspective that's kind of out there. And we've, and yeah, everybody, you know, you learn over time, like sharks, for example, and bears, whatever, they're all just doing their thing. They don't really care too much about you. And for the most part, they don't want anything to do with you. So, you get used to that and you start to build a comfort level and then, you know, then you're in your better situation. This is my first time around any of these big cats, you know, and I'm telling you when you're point blank, literally a foot from a lion, a, a large male lion walking right by the truck and there's nothing between you and him. And it's a little intimidating, you know, and he, he did not it want, it, he did it, not it want anything to do with me. I'm positive of that. But uh, there's also that's my very first time I've had an encounter with a lion like that, and I wasn't about to try to push the issue or try to find out otherwise, you know. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean that's that's the bottom line. That's from my perspective. It wasn't a it wasn't a fear thing. It was more of a respect thing and more of a, you know, hey, I don't I don't never been around these critters like this, and 
you know, I definitely don't want to do something stupid that's, you know, going to put me or anybody else in the vehicle at jeopardy. So, but. Don't well, you don't want to be right. that guy be, either. Right. I don't want to be that guy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Don't be the next right. viral video. <laughs> yeah, I looked over and Drew was videoing me his phone. I was, I don't know what that was about, but no. <laughs> so he, he he was talking about his diverse right. business model and viral video, you know, that should be in everybody's portfolio. Top these of the days. list. Oh, I've got a lot in I've got a lot in reserve, you know. I mean, part of it could be for blackmail, it's possible, you know, if the photography thing is not working and slowing down, I've always got that avenue I can't take. Yeah. But but, you know, that that also cues in on, you know, Drew Drew H and Drew B, both of you guys. We've talked about it so many times on the show, but that's another reason and another benefit why it's so good when you haven't had those experiences to go with a guide. And to go with somebody that knows the animals and knows where you're at and can keep you safe and can let you know where you're pushing the boundaries and where you're not. And you know what I mean? You can, you can, you, they know the animal's behavior. They've been around them so many times. I mean, Drew's been to Africa 25 years or something like that. You know, Drew, you've spent so much time up there with the bears, you know, either, you know, take your, pick your poison. You, you, got, you go with somebody like you guys and you know you're going to be taken care of. You know you're going to be in a good situation. You know you're going to be safe. And that's another reason why and I feel it's important to go with a guide, especially on you know a first-time trip or something like that. But. I always say it's good to bring back at least 80% of your people so that they can come back as return. <laughs> that's clients. a really good policy. <laughs> That's a that's a that's a reasonable yeah, number. That's, that's yeah, a reasonable that's what we're number. always going might for. Be, it might yeah. be a little high, but it's a reasonable yeah. number. Jason, that lion just <laughs> right, bit your right. hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a standing joke over there. When we get back to camp the first day, we say, "All right, everybody made it back." You know, that's one more than the last right, right. time we did this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Drew, uh, it's not just about Africa for you, though. Uh, you go other places. I was looking at your website, and you've got quite the uh, quite the annual migration. It's definitely a chasing uh, the seasons, you know. Uh, that January, February time frame, winter shots, uh, you know, if we're talking North America. So, you know, you're looking at you know, the Yellowstone stuff, uh, trying to get the wolves, obviously, but foxes, coyotes, you know, they're doing their mating thing, uh, winter bison, you know, good stuff. Yellowstone's not the only place. I mean, you know, other North America uh, winter stuff is good, but I mean, you know, that's obviously a great mecca for it. Some stuff down in the Tetons. Um, otherwise, you know, you, you'd have to hop international, which uh, you know, we try to we're trying to put together a trip that's an annual one, starting this next year for sure, which is back to the uh, to to the Masai Mara in Kenya in February, um, because it's kind of big cat time. There's so many uh, little ones hitting the ground, and it's kind of a little macabre, but because it's because it's baby on the ground time, it's also cats moving in for lunch, snacks kind of time too. So, I mean, it's it's the time to be there for some of that photographically. And then, you know, we hit the spring. You start talking about spring bears uh, in Yellowstone. Pretty soon you move into, uh, you know, the bears in Alaska. Uh, when you hit the fall, we're talking about elk. We're talking about, you know, the moose Alaska trips, other bear trips, um, actually digressing back to August, you know, that's migration time over in Africa, good dry time in Africa as well, both South Africa and Kenya. Um, you know, then you get into the Teton stuff in October. Um, and then November kind of brings you around to Patagonia cats and, uh, the Pantanal down in Brazil for that, you know, the jaguars and the, uh, the crocodiles and, 
you know, then you kind of hit the holidays and you're back full circle to January again. So, you know, it's really just kind of trying to go to the best place at the best time for those uh, photographic opportunities. Do you ever just sit still? <laughs> um, I've I've been here for about half an hour right now. So, uh, you know, that, I, that I, got, I got you, I got you clocked at 24, 24 minutes in one spot. New it record. felt like thirty minutes. It felt like thirty. <laughs> well, talking to us feels like forever. I understand. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I I, uh, I joked with Jason a couple of weeks ago. I actually bounced down to Mexico after I got back from Africa for just a quick two day trip. I was on a real estate uh, kind of resort shoot down there, just down and back. And I had said, you know, what if, uh, if I sit around for too long, I get mossy. And uh, it's usually only a couple weeks before that starts to set in. So. I don't know how many ticks I've got. Well, I couldn't stand it, and it's his feet on an airplane. I guess where I'm off to now. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> now where are you going, you know? <laughs> well, you can't, you can't fly 100,000 miles That's a year true. if you stay at home. You, you can't do it. So yeah, you've got to you've got to get out there and fly if you're going to get it done. <laughs> good point. Good point. So, and you've been doing this for so long. What are what are some of the standout memories? Like, what what really, you know, because we we ask pretty much all the guests this. Like, what what is maybe your top wildlife memory? What 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 keeps you going back for more, so to speak? Ooh. Um. Gosh, I, I mean, to answer that truthfully, I'm probably going to have to set a bad example here because, and I want to preface this with, I do not believe people should see, should follow examples that they see online and go out and play with wild animals and get close and get in situations that are going to get them hurt, injured, or otherwise. It's a, it's bad, <laughs> but the close encounters is definitely what takes me back. You know, the, those, those animals that are right there, the, the big dangerous game, you know, getting those low angle shots of animals that are just, you know, 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, you know, where, I mean, where you can, obviously, you know, I'm not 20 or 30 yards away from bears in Yellowstone because they want us to stay, you know, a hundred yards away. And we're pretty good about that. I know everybody isn't, but I do not want to get in trouble in a national park. I do not want to get my pass pulled. I do not want to get sidelined. So, you know, I try to follow the rules, you know, as, as much as we can. Um, but where we, where we, you know, don't have those exact same limits. I mean, like at, uh, Katmai, for example, you know, in the brooks and whatnot, when we can get, uh, you know, 30, 40 yards away from bears and you're in the rivers, you're in those scenarios with them. Um, you know, it's pretty special. And I guess, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you know, having those mock bear charges and coming out of it with that pause out of the water, you know, toenails, water splashing shot. When you get those things, it, it, it makes you want to go again. It makes you want to go do something else like that. It makes you want to go make the next epic photo. Um, you know, and I, I don't know how many sunrises and sunsets I've seen, um, but you know, I, I mean, I try to, I try to get out for all of them. And every time I get one of those amazing, like blood orange, red sunrise sunsets, you get the silhouette, you get the fire, you get the rim light. It just, I mean, it, it fires me up to go do it again, go for the next one. You know, you know, when you get that shot that you're looking for, especially if you've got it in your mind, 
You know, if you if you're forward thinking, you know, if you leave out in the morning and you're and you know you're going to have the conditions for that amazing sunrise, and you've kind of got an idea where you can find whatever it is, the elk or the lion or the the elephant, and you can get that hillside ridge line silhouette, whatnot. It makes it worth it. I mean, it that that to me is the that's the drug. You know, that's that's the addiction that that keeps us going, that gets us back out there is when you create a shot in your mind and then you actually put it on the card, you know, and eventually put it to print. I live in the north. I can only do sunrise and sunset <laughs> in the winter. Like, yeah, we don't we don't keep civilized hours. Uh, there's no way I'm getting up at three and then staying up all. Yeah, I just can't do them. Getting too old for that. But wintertime. <laughs> Yeah, that's smarter, not harder. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, well, and the sun's almost up for, what, two hours in the winter, too? So you've got Two that. golden hours. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you don't yeah. even need sun. Do you even need sunscreen then? I don't think you need sunscreen then. There's you? no exposed skin at that point. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you need wind protection. Oh. So, yeah. Oh. Uh, so what, what's... Uh, what's next for you? Like you're sitting still. We've got you for, we're clocked at 29 minutes now. Uh, where are you going next? So, uh, I'm, you know, three days away from heading off to Colorado. Um, you know, that's where Jason and I are going to meet up there. Um, and you know, we got fall colors, we got elk screaming at one point in time. I said, uh, you know, if the elk bugled year round, I'd never leave the woods. I mean, that (laughs) is, that, that's my favorite thing. And I think for so many of us out in the West, it is. You know, I mean, there's there's hardly anything else that's as majestic. And I mean, the head tilt back, the scream, the dragon breast. I mean, the look in their eye. The crazy eye, the white, the, they're charismatic. I mean, they do all the stuff. <laughs> I mean, some animals, I mean, you know, we had like this, this great badger encounter this last year in, in Yellowstone. I mean, point blank on the ground. It's a badger on the ground. Uh, it's it's not exciting. There's it's just there's nothing exciting about it. And I mean, a little six point bull standing on a ridge, tilting his head, throwing dragon breath <laughs> is amazing. Um, you know, I mean, they just they are so charismatic. So always looking forward to that. I'm probably going to shoot up to the Tetons and spend a little bit of time up there. You know, go to a couple of hidden spots that social media hasn't screwed up yet. And uh, then. Um, I'm off to actually start uh, working with a little bit of underwater photography. I'm going to go down to the Baja for a week. And uh, then I am going uh, back overseas. I'm going to Europe for a month to uh, shoot some different things I haven't shot before over there. Some time in Spain, some time in Italy. Uh, A little bit of time uh, on the uh, uh, France-Swiss border trying to chase some Ibex. And, uh, you know, then back for trade shows in the holidays and turn and burn and back off because uh, January is the big Kilimanjaro climb this year. And then it's uh, Masai Mara Big Cat. So, you know, the next, the next few months have, have a few things going on. <laughs> have, you know, have a couple things planned. Oh, man. It's just, it just means, I mean, you're another antler guy. <laughs> I mean, Jason's an antler guy. Ron's an antler guy. Like, I feel like Michael and I, being the bear folks, are we really get outnumbered now when we have these these antler the <laughs> antler crew, and particularly it's two against one tonight. I, I mean, you started out strong with a lot of like tooth and claw talk, and you you really 
hooked me with that, but then yeah. I guess it always just comes back to the antlers for you guys. I'm kind of 50, 50. I really am 50, 50. Cause I'm okay. definitely a tooth and claw guy too. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, we'll let you ride the fence for a little bit. Look, there. I'm not a bird guy. Definitively not a bird guy. And my camera doesn't have a duck setting. I've looked for it and there's no duck setting. So uh, whenever I'm with Jason and the rest of the crew, I just uh, I have to watch them shoot the ducks because my camera is incapable of actually taking. Well, and let me just let me clarify real quick. A duck could be a grouse. It could be a great brute, great blue herring. It could be any bird. It's a duck to Drew. Just let's just be clear. It's it's. So if it has in, feathers, it's a duck. In the Sony menus, is there a, a duck and a not duck setting with the eye focus now? Like, how's that? Uh, you shoot Actually, Sony, right? It's tooth claw antler. <laughs> That's all I've been able to find in the Sony menu. Yeah, tooth claw antler. Yeah. It locks on, doesn't let go. Yeah, and tooth and claw is a macro mode. A lot of people don't realize that. <laughs> So with all this jet setting around, what's your uh, what's your 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 kit look like? I mean, you're you're in planes, you're in jeeps, you're in whatever, globe trotting. Like, how do you how do you get everything you need done photographically, um, equipment wise? Well, um, so obviously, you know, standard is definitely it's a double gun. I mean, having two cameras ready. Um, you know, you, you don't have to, I mean, those, those people out there that, you know, can only afford one setup, you know, there's nothing wrong with swapping out. Um, it's just that, you know, when you're in the moment and, you know, you've got a cheetah chase coming up, the entire event might last 10 or 12 seconds. If you're going to try to swap out lenses in the middle, you're going to miss it. I mean, you, you can't, so you'd have to pick a lens. Um, and I would say, you know, probably 70% of the time I shoot a 70 to 200. Uh, 70 200 2.8 is really probably my go-to lens, um, you know, about two-thirds, a little better than two-thirds of the time. Um, next would definitely be the 400 2.8. Um, I've kind of gotten away from the 500, 600, 800 by virtue of too much atmospheric uh, interference, whether it's heat waves, whether it's dust, whether it's snow and ice particles. Uh, it's just that, you know, stuff that you normally would reach out to with a 500, 600 or 800. I just find that I'm not getting those crisp images anyway. And I pass the documentary side of things. I don't just want to take a photo of, of a wolf. I don't just want to take a photo of an elephant. I want to have something that I'm striving to be print quality, um, you know, be it magazine or a, or a fine art print. So that's kind of got me dialed back to shooting that 400-2.8 mostly. I do have a 1.4x converter for it, so I can push it out to 560. And, you know, there's times when the conditions, uh, you know, call for it and allow for it. You know, cold mornings, um, you know, the dust is down, low wind. I mean, there's definitely times you can push out there and still get, you know, those great images. Um, but, you know, so much of the time it seems like we're getting in tighter um, and I'm looking for a little bit more of a – of a nature scape than a portrait on a lot of my style. And so I'll kind of default to that 70 to 200 and I'll even sometimes take out uh, a 55 or, you know, the 16 to 35. I shot last year, 24 to 70, you know, for wildlife. And I was looking for these super panos, you know, big landscape photos. And, um, I actually forced myself to work on that, forced myself to actually practice taking just landscapes and work on a little bit more depth of field. 
you know, because when we're shooting portraits, obviously, you know, you're looking for that mega bokeh effect, you know, that foreground's just creamy and gone and the background's creamy and gone and, you know, tack eyes and tack forward tines. And when you start shooting naturescapes, you actually have, kind of have to change your mindset. I mean, you're increasing depth of field, um, you know, you're, you're shooting wider, you're shooting closer. Um, I mean, it, you literally have to change your, your overall mindset. So instead of, uh, you know, instead of trying to swap out to third lens, fourth lens kind of thing, there's times when I'll, I'll just do that. So it won't be like the 7200 and the 400 and the 24 to 70 or the, or the 55 or the 85. I'll just on those times, I'll, I'll kind of push to that portrait lens, you know, for that landscape, for the naturescape. So, Drew, you're shooting Sony. Did you mention that already? Yeah, I okay. think the other Drew did. So you're shooting yes. Sony. You shot Nikon before that. You've been shooting long enough. I'm assuming you started yeah. shooting when it was the film days. Started film days, and I started Canon. So, I mean, I've shot Canon, I've shot Nikon, and I've shot Sony. And, uh, I mean, I'm, and I, love, I love the Sony side these I, days, you know? The, uh, you know, Nikon was, I mean, was my go-to forever, right? And it was it was that transition because the long glass wasn't there, um, had some problems, you know, with uh, with the mirrorless was that jump, um, you know, and I know that, you know, you've had such, you know, super success with the Canon. I think they even shared they even shared some uh, chips, you know, some of those mother chips come out of the, the same factory. You know, so I think we're looking at actually the same technology with a with a different brand on it for the most part in in getting that you know, quick eye detection and some of those cheats that, you know, really help us, you know, look better. You know, that the computers these days obviously help us look like we're better at our job than we are. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> Giving credit where credit is honestly <laughs> due. <laughs> Going back to the, the film days and, and, you know, just, just thinking about where we are now, you know, you can, can you imagine rolling on this African safari that you're raving about Jason with, you know, toting all your film with you like in, in oh limited God. like how, how many how many photos did you shoot in africa there and if you're doing that at 32 exposures per roll what how does that how does that pencil out well how about having bad specs the entire trip and not knowing it until two weeks after you got home <laughs> <laughs> oh because in- Jason, what were your big days over there? What were you What were you firing away? Well, I, I took over just I took over for the entire trip a little over twenty thousand images, which is that's that's in, in, in eight, seven eight, days eight of days. photography. Yeah. Now is that one shot of each animal you saw, <laughs> <Right>. or <laughs> how? What, just about that. <laughs> it was one shot of every Impala you saw. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's lots of Impalas over there, but um, but no, that was. I was just trying to think. I mean, I, there was some there were some days where obviously, like the wild dogs and the hyenas and those interactions, where you know you're letting it rip a little more. But you know, it's it's like anything when you first take a photo of an animal. At least for me, it's like, oh, cool, I got a shot of a hyena. And it's like, okay, now I need to think about what's the let's now let's get a good shot of a hyena. You know, and it's like, okay, well, I got oh, the lights gone. That's great. Okay, well, now let's do some unique stuff with the hyena. You know, let's, let's get some backlighter. Let's get some. So it was a little bit of that through the entire process, you know, and I got a little more selective as the trip went on for sure. Um, but yeah, I was not afraid to let it rip. And I don't think any of us should be, especially with the advantages we have that way today. I mean, you think about 20,000 images and what that would look like for somebody that was shooting film. You know, I, I don't even know if you physically could carry that much film, right? I'm, it, I, 
Uh, Photo Mart would need to bring right. in a line of credit right. for you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, emb- we embrace the technology that way and, and take advantage of it. And, uh, and we're fortunate that we have it. You know, it allows us to just take as many as images as we want and it doesn't cost us anything but our time. Digressing for the uh, for the thirty five year old and under crowd photo mart was where you took your film to get developed. Right. <laughs> it was a booth. It looked like a drive through burger joint. <laughs> I actually remember those. I actually do. I remember those. Yeah. Right. I can still conjure the smells of the the dark room. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was yeah. just such a uh, kind of tactile experience making the. Uh, making the images and uh when i was a kid my my folks owned a a small town newspaper and so i had my mom's old ae1 and could go snap away and and i could roll my own i got to the point roll my own film and but i couldn't touch the uh you know the new fancy stacks of photo paper i had to use like the scraps and i made a lot of collages (laughs) And things like that. <laughs> a lot of a lot of pictures of my pet iguana as a kid. But it was fun. I you got everybody still... in Colorado excited for a second when you were talking about rolling your own. All those Colorado <laughs> photographers. <laughs> I actually didn't know where he was going with that either. And dark room and dark room is not from Fifty Shades of Grey. It's where we developed black and white film. <laughs> I, I think for, for the young audience, you've got to be very specific here, Drew. Yeah. Well, and it's just, I marvel at, at this at the stuff. You know, now it's all done on on computers, and and just the stuff that that people are doing these days just blows my mind. That that we're even we've made it to this point, and then it's changing just so fast. And pretty soon, pretty soon we'll all be. It's all phones. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you say that back back in the day when we started editing, we had a with a black and white uh, Mac. It was a passive matrix, two hundred and fifty six. But sorry, we, we we had a black and white. Then we upgraded it to a two hundred and fifty six color trackball, and <laughs> we bought a one gigabyte Seagate Barracuda drive for fifteen hundred dollars for <laughs> us to do our editing with. I mean. And it's come a long ways. Like I said, I used to ride dinosaurs into Rocky Mountain National Park. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta go. I gotta go down to Costco and pick up a five terabyte uh, solid state drive. Don't worry, it's just a couple hundred right, bucks. Right. It'll be all right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's come a long ways. Yeah. Which is amazing. I mean, it's it's what allows more people to get into the, uh, you know, the sport of it or the the professional side of it. I mean, you know, it's become it's become more compact. It's become more affordable. The computers have helped out in the cheat. I mean, I think it's where it's made our job harder because we have to work that much more, you know, at the technical side and creative side to excel. I mean, if we're if if Jason and I are teaching, you know, workshops. I mean, you you got people that we're we're doing that with and. And, uh, you know, we can't prove that we know what we're talking about or, you know, shoot in the same conditions and, you know, produce a, a better photo or at least as good of a photo. I mean, it's, it's kind of tough to, to profess, uh, you know, being the professor. Yeah, but you can be standing behind him and do it all with a Kodak FunSaver camera. That's <laughs> – that was one of our trivia questions uh, from the – few episodes ago I, I stumped these guys with that one the number did you know the number three best-selling camera at b&h photo is the kodak fun saver film camera 
Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. So start taking those to Africa if you want to up your, uh, up your right. challenge. Middle of that cheetah. <laughs> you have Jason well, hanging out the back of a truck shooting wild dogs <laughs> with a fun saver. Yeah, well, that's what I call the manual zoom where you just uh, you yeah, walk right. closer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, Drew, I know you're yeah. working on some, uh, some excursions and some uh, photo tours that you've been working on putting together for this next year. Is there any of those that you've got kind of planned out that you wanted to go over real quick or? Uh, well, definitively, I mean, because it's kind of dynamic. You know, on the website, we're always kind of changing and updating. Sometimes we might put together an itinerary and the dates might be to be determined or we might not have the exact vendors in place. Uh, you know, we might be changing something, so the price might be, you know, variable for a little bit. But, you know, we've usually got a pretty good framework there. Uh, but as of now, kind of, uh, you know, definitively set in stone, we've got a, a February trip uh, to Yellowstone. We've got a winter trip there. Uh, we've also got a, uh, a Kenya trip, uh, you know, to Amboseli uh, for the giant Tuskers um, and, a, and a Mara trip. So it's it's giant elephants and the big cats uh, again together um, in May. There's a there's a Yellowstone uh, bear trip, you know, a grizzly uh, black bear trip. And obviously it's coyotes and foxes and bison, whatever else you see. But it's you know, it's mostly a bear trip. And then uh, in July, there is a South Africa trip. Uh, August, there's a Mara migration trip, which is also, you know, it's a big cat trip, among other things. But it's, you know, in hopes of catching that big wildebeest migration. And then September next year, looks like we're going to do a, a pretty, uh, pretty unique trip that I'm just going to leave out right now as a as a trip to look out for to Alaska, um, there's going to be some moose and some special uh, trip there that not a lot of people are doing. Kind of a kind of an interesting thing that uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna roll out here in a, in a little bit for people to really look forward to. And then uh, a Teton trip in October and a Brazil Pantanal trip in November. So where, where you keep mentioning the website, I don't think we've touched on that yet. Where can people find? both your personal work and your, your business side of things. And more importantly, the, the photo tours. So I know some of the photo tours that you're doing in conjunction with the wild and exposed team here that we'll have on the wild and exposed landing page for sure. Um, and you can, you can go check there, but you, if you want to know about any of Drew's trips, you can check them out on his personal website, which is. Uh, so voyagersafari.com is where we put those itineraries, and you can kick to that from uh, from the social media. You know, people that don't know, I go by Voyager Drew on Instagram, and uh, and then for you know my print side, I usually post my new stuff that you know my new uh, fine art that's available on epicwildlifephotos.com. Is that a oh, sorry? Is that a so, fulfillment site? Sorry, no, sorry, no. Drew. <laughs> a little bit of delay. That's a fulfillment yes. site for your print. Yeah. Okay. Yes, gotcha. it is. So I have a, uh, you know, we'll get a little, some personal questions here. So is your name Drew or Andrew? It's true. It's just it's Drew. True. There's no and. Okay. Yeah. I am just Drew as well. And there aren't many of us out there. No. Like we're, we are a rare breed and it always, whenever there's another Drew in, I don't know, maybe a 50 mile radius, you, you kind of get this weird, like it gets confusing. Like every time that Jason said Drew tonight, I, I kind of startling me like oh it's my turn oh no he's, he's nobody wants to hear me talk we're not here to hear me talk kind of thing and uh it was just when you run into other drews in in the wild it uh 
it's it's interesting. It is. It's it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, they, you know, I mean, Shakespeare said brevity is wit. So, I mean, that's, you know, when there's no point in us putting an and in front of it. I mean, it's just true. But <laughs> something simpler. It's, it's wittier. And that's why we're so witty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you two guys are two peas in a pod for sure. <laughs> the name says it all. It's a good thing this isn't being broadcast right. anywhere. Right. Thank God right. for that. <laughs> Well, is there is there anything else, Drew, that you wanted to touch on that uh, you just want to get out there to the the general public that they should know about you or or your offerings? One thing that Jason touched on, I, I would go back to, and it, it's not even so much about me; it's just in general that you know because of the internet, because you, you know anything that you want for information is out there online. People can Google and look, and they can put in you know Africa Safari or Yellowstone Photoshop. I mean, a uh, photo workshop. Um, you know, they can, they can find other people, places, they can get lots of tips, you know, they can follow somebody's social media page and go, oh, I'm going to go there and do my own thing. Cause I've done the research. I've looked on Google earth. I've, you know, they're, they're showing the street signs and they're showing the visitor centers. And so I know, I know how to do it. You probably don't, you probably don't know how to do it. Um, we didn't, you know, even, even when we go places, you know, we, we look at a lot of stuff on Google Earth. We check things out. We think about where the game's going to be moving. We look at, you know, water, seasons, weather, things like that. Nothing beats local knowledge. Nothing beats the knowledge of somebody that's been there before. I mean, I've got the same tracker in Africa and South Africa that I've used for 12 years. And he is an amazing resource for me. I mean, even in the field, he, he thinks of, hey, we should go check over here. He just notices this tiny little shift in the in the wind or he looks at other animals' movements and quickly decides that we should go back and check this other water hole because animals are moving later in the day. And I, I just don't think that saving, you know, a dollar here and a dollar there is worth it when you're you're adding up plane tickets and lodging and and uh, park fees and rental cars and food. And you, know, you look at the totality of it, you, you save a few dollars and you don't get good results. You don't get good photos. You don't get good interaction. Was it worth it? I mean, should you have maybe cut your trip short, you know, a, a day or two and done a better trip, uh, you know, with people that knew what was going on? And I mean, we we looked up, we looked to other people that know, you know, Jason and I just don't gallivant off on our own all the time. I mean, there's there's definitely a resource that we work with. There's other people that are in play for the stuff that we do. And, you know, like, like Jason said, I mean, I've been doing Africa for over 20 years. I've, I've made almost 30 trips over there. I've spent nearly two and a half years of my life on the ground in Africa alone. Um, you know, much less these other places. I mean, I speak Spanish. I speak Portuguese. Um, I, you know, I, I try to speak Afrikaans and some of the stuff over there. I mean, I get through and it's good that they speak English everywhere, most of where we go. But, um, you know, that just the, the culture and the nuances to, to work through, the getting out of the airport, the, the guy that you want to help you and the guy that you don't want to help you. There's a lot more that goes into this than saying, hey, you should take your 70 to 200 and your 400 to 8 and make sure you take three extra cards. I mean, yeah, that's good on the gear side, but your total trip and your total experience is it's much more complex than that. There's a lot that goes into it. And as many times as I've done it, when I'm planning an itinerary for, for another group or people to put together, I probably put in as much time as somebody else puts into their research 
and I'm just filling in the details. You know, they're starting from scratch. So I, I think that's where our value really comes in. It's, it's the been there, done that. And we've made the mistakes too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually known for saying we don't learn from our successes. We learn from our failures. And so, you know, I, I screwed up so many times that I'm getting almost perfect at this. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, and so, you know, I mean, that's avoid it. If you can, if you can learn from our mistakes and uh, we can give you a better trip and an efficient trip, you ought to think about taking advantage of it. You know, take advantage of our, of our knowledge that's come through our trips and falls. Awesome. Well, it's very interesting to hear, you know, when you when you do look at the cost breakdowns on a lot of these things and, and you know, Wild Exposed, we had a, a bear, uh, a bear boat trip uh, that just was a great success. And, you know, if you were to piece that trip together, uh, you know, doing day trips and then having to stay in hotels and meals and things like that, whereas um, buying a package where you've got expert guides, a liveaboard boat, you're, you're out there more hours of the day. You're actually at the end of the day, it's cheaper to do one of these, these packages or this, this boat trip, like we just did, uh, then, then piecing it together, like the independent traveler. And so, uh, it really, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying there. Amen. Yeah. Well, even, and even if you cut a little bit, like, uh, you know, a, a perfect example of ours would be like a winter Yellowstone trip. Roughly about $2,500 for what we do, and that's all in. And, uh, you know, Jake, Jason can attest, not just to Africa, but, you know, he's been on several of the, the itineraries that I've put together. And, you know, we're, we're not cutting corners with it. You know, we do really nice lodging. It's comfortable. There's TVs for us to put photos up on. Um, you know, we've got a, a chef that puts things together. You know, we're not scrambling at night to figure out where we're going to go to eat and how we're going to put things together. We've got the transportation taken care of. Um, you know, we've got the, you know, the, the big coaches, the, the big, uh, off-road coaches when we do the, the, um, Yellowstone trip. And if somebody puts it together on their own, they're not going to be in a private group. They're not going to be, um, with, you know, something, uh, a driver that stops for the, the right opportunities. They're not going to even come close to the encounters that we get. And they might save three or $400 in three days of photography, you know, a total five-day trip. I mean, they're they're not even going to save $500 if they go do it on their own. And they're going to be with 15 other people. Again, they're going to see lots of things like waterfalls and geysers, and which is fine if that's the trip that you want to do. But if you want a focused winter close encounter photography type trip, I mean, we're doing it one scale up and, uh, and well more organized for almost the same amount of money. Good deal. Good. Do you, do you, do you go see the mud pots? I want to see the mud pots. <laughs> we can take you to see the frozen pots. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Whew, I'm in. Sign nah, me up. Yeah, actually there with the thermals, there's always some kind of mud bubbling somewhere there. And if you want to see those, we can, we can take you there. I've got, I've got an artistic <laughs> vision. I need, I, I need to scratch that itch with the mud pots. So, uh, now bison standing in the background at sunrise uh, you know, now, now you're talking about a photo there. There's some birds flying through <laughs> some ducks, ducks yeah. some ducks, get we us some ducks stat. We, we no, there's, there's no ducks there. They've migrated down to Utah. <laughs> uh, funny. Go to the, uh, the elk, the elk range there in, in Jackson to film all those ducks sitting on the poles and eating the carcasses. Right. And everything. I've, I've heard rumors. I've yet to see. They're them. the brown ones with the white heads. They're huge uh, ducks. Yeah. 
Yeah, still lost. I'm not a, tracking on this. Yeah. <laughs> National bird. Yeah. <laughs> not your nation, our nation. <laughs> well, that's Drew. Thank you so much for for coming on tonight. It's been such a pleasure to to meet such a. Uh, another charming Drew and, and share the stories and times and uh, likewise. Yeah. Right on. We'll have to get together sometime and do some shooting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe I'll make it up to your North country. I like it up there. Polar bear season starts uh, like, I think our first tours are first week in October and then it'll go right up through like third week in November when the Bay freezes. And then, um, then the foxes show up. Right after that, it just goes crazy with foxes around here. And then and then we'll take a little break. And then uh, I think probably February, our Aurora tours start up. Mm. And then uh, and then actually, I think we're going to be doing our, our Bear Cubs and Borealis uh, tour again this year where we go film the uh, polar bear cubs coming out of the dens. Uh, but we pair it with some northern lights. And I mean, it's all... 40 50 below nice. kind of stuff <laughs> and then uh, then it's then it's summer for like two weeks and then then back to winter you've been listening to the wild and exposed podcast if you haven't yet please give us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it and as always thanks for tuning in we're gonna make it someday nothing's gonna get in our way we will be the biggest band in time